Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's up, everyone? Welcome to Metalcore Nerds, a podcast where heavy music and pop culture collide. I'm Sean Mott, your host. I am a booking agent, a freelance graphic designer, and a lover of all things nerd. Whether you're a first-time listener or a repeat listener, thanks for joining us today. Today, I have a very awesome guest, Greg Thomas from the band End. He also co-runs Silver Bullet Studios who's recorded a lot of awesome records. Talk about that a little bit in the podcast. Just one note about this. We recorded this back in March. So we talk about the lead up of the new end record. Obviously before it was out, now it is out. So if you listen to that and you're a little confused, that's why. We go deep into his music career from where he started, all the bands he played throughout the years. He was a part of a lot of awesome records that I love personally. So let's get right into this conversation with Greg Thomas. Hey Greg, how you doing, man? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's a nice day in upstate New York right now. Yeah, it's a pretty nice day today too. Uh, not too hot, not too cold. Appreciate you having me on here today. Yeah, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for being a part of this. It's exciting for me. <laughs> well, I, I I am excited for this too. I appreciate it. Yeah, your your weather probably has to be similar because I actually a bunch of my family is from you're in Connecticut, right? Yep. Yeah, a bunch of my extended family is from Connecticut so I always spent like a week or two in the summer in Connecticut and the weather was always similar to upstate New York so yeah we're in the same boat (laughs) for sure super brutal winters hot and humid summers (laughs) yep exactly not really there's like uh two weeks in the fall that are nice you know (laughs) the rest of the the year is a little uh, nice yeah pretty much did it snow for you a few weeks back like it did for us yeah, it did. We had flurries and because I'm I'm in Connecticut, but I'm also elevated to I'm in like kind of the hills. Oh, of Connecticut. So okay. Whenever there's like there might be snow, we we get the snow. So. Oof, man. <laughs> Rough. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously we're in a different type of world right now. Obviously you run a recording studio. So how has the whole pandemic affected everything that's been going on for you? Well, for for us, we uh, we basically postponed all the records that we had coming up um you know which has been a few months of of records uh and have not been rescheduling them yet so i know stuff is starting to open back up 
but with a studio, um, in my opinion, you know, it's, it's good to be cautious because you're, you're with instruments, you're handling them with microphones, you're singing into them. You have all these things where there's a lot of like, you know, could, could be residue or contact or whatever. And it's, yeah, you know, it's, it's a difficult time because there's all sorts of conflicting information out there and all this kind of stuff, but we're, we're just kind of run with it with, uh, we'd rather be safe than sorry. So, um, where we haven't started even rescheduling it. So it's been a very interesting thing because we usually book out four or five, six months in advance. And uh, so, so moving like two or three months off into space, we're kind of just trying to take it so that everything gets moved back equally. So it's not right. just like you were supposed to record now and you're going to record in 2021. <laughs> um, so we're just trying to move everything back. And I, and I think we're going to start getting back to it you know, in the next few weeks right. or so. Um, but yeah, it's been very interesting. It's surreal because we um, typically at the studio, me and, and the uh, Chris Teddy, who co-owns the studio with me, mm-hmm. uh, we typically work like 80 to 90 hours a week. You I'm know, sure. it, it, when, when you're working in a field that is your, both your passion and your hobby as well as your source of income, you know, and and you own your own business. I mean, you're just working all the time. That's part of the trade-off for getting to do something that you love. But um, we went from working like 90 hours a week to a few weeks where we were just like, okay, what do we do? It was such a weird (laughs) and surreal experience, Um, especially because we were finishing, uh, you know, I had, I had just finished, a record for the band misery signals that I used to play in. Like I just wow. finished that literally the week that the pandemic started and I'd been working on that for like six months. So oh we'd finished that record. I'm like, okay, I finally get, Oh wait, the world is stopping <laughs> temporarily. So, um, but it, it, it's, it's, it's been okay. We're focusing on mixing and focusing yeah. on kind of the, the rollout and the back end of all the stuff for the different records that we had coming out. So we've been managing to survive. And uh, thankfully, people, you know, want us to mix and things like that. And we've had a couple of sessions even where, um, you know, some of the bands I work closest with, if they only have like a day left of guitar or something like that, that I've actually had people Skype me and show me the guitar part and just had me play it just to finish off of a record wow. or something like that, <laughs> where they're like, we don't know when we're going to see you again, but can you just add these couple guitar parts? And it's like, sure. Yeah, I can try to do that. Oh, and, wow. Uh, so like, so like, yeah, like a Skype mobile session, um, which is pretty cool that anybody would trust me to do that and right. uh, thankful for that. But it's kind of helped keep us afloat during this time. So, yeah, that makes sense. And I don't know if you knew this about me, but I'm actually a booking agent. So I feel the same feeling as, you know, you spend so many hours working a week. And I'm also a designer, too. And a lot of it was music industry based just through the managers and the agents and the bands I meet. I just usually end up doing their tour flyers or whatever they need. And that's cool. Well, that, that, I mean, that's certainly touring yeah, is in such a state. It's hard to say. I mean, I was supposed to uh, have done a tour this month with Misery yeah. Singles and End. And um, we were going to be announcing other things. We had some great shows coming up in the summer that we were looking forward to uh, with some of our like favorite bands that never even got announced that are just. Yep postponed indefinitely so i can only imagine for you like being a booking agent it's hard to say like we moved our tour that we had in the summer off to november but even that's a 
guess. I mean, if, yeah, if it is. people are going to be back at it at that point, everybody's eager and ready to go, but also, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to jump the gun and, and be dangerous and maybe also have like just such a poor attendance that it wasn't even worth it doing it, you know, to an extent yeah. anyway. So it's kind of like, we're going to see, and I'm sure you're right there where you just kind of wait and see day by day. What's the update, you know? Yeah, pretty much. None of my, the bands I work with or managers or teams have really, they're, we're all kind of on the same page of, yeah, we kind of got to wait and see until we get a clear picture about this. Cause so many tours have been rescheduled for the summer and those are almost all getting either completely canceled or moved back again, you know? So it's, it is a waiting game. There's nothing you can do. And like I was saying, luckily none of the teams or bands have been like hey what's going on they they kind of all everyone's been understanding about it and, and like yeah because i've just taken taken a complete backseat with booking because why would i try and plan on something that i don't know if it's going to happen just move it back again and now even with everything moving back it's just there's going to be so many tours when everything starts back up and it's just going to so- be a, a mess <laughs> Totally. And that's something that you touched upon there that I've noticed and um, I appreciate is how understanding all of the bands have been, uh, you know, like just everybody gets it. If you have to, for us, if we had to move back a record or a tour, everybody's kind of like, that's totally cool, man. As soon as you feel it's safe to, to pick it up again. And I really appreciate how understanding everybody's been because, uh, you know, if you go on to social media, you can see there's a lot of people that, that don't understand or don't have tolerance no. for what's going on. <laughs> um, but the music industry has actually been, even though everybody's kind of losing a lot of money, there's yeah. a certain feel where everybody's kind of in it together and just waiting. And I don't think I've ever experienced anything quite like that no. from the music industry before. So I, I w- am pretty, you know, impressed. And, and maybe it's, you know, we're lucky because we have a, you know, the genres that we work in are a little more uh, forward thinking than others, maybe, you know, with certain stuff. So maybe they they just kind of understand, you know, and that might not be the case for other parts of the music industry. But I have been impressed with how everybody's just kind of, we're in it together. And when we can resume, we're all eager and excited to do it. So it's it's been stressful, but people have been handling it um, pretty well. I would, I would say overall in terms of uh, how they're altering their plans for their record releases or recording or touring and stuff. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more with, with that statement. It, everyone has been very, very cool. And it, I've even heard from people who I maybe talk to on a semi-regular basis, just being like, cause obviously I, I'm used to getting so many emails a day and now it's nothing pretty much. And, but people being like, Hey, what's up? How you doing? You know, uh, hope you're okay through all this. Like, obviously everyone's kind of hurting or don't really know what to do. So just wanted to say what's up. And I was like, wow. Like, and even through starting this podcast, just reaching out to people, like I reached out to you, you, you said you heard about the podcast through Austin from Ghostkey. followed the podcast on Instagram. And I just shot you a message and was like, yo, what's up, man. Do you want to, you want to come on sometime? And yeah, <laughs> Yeah, it's a cool thing. I I really like that episode and I like what you got going on with the podcast. And uh, yeah, that was a cool thing. I, I just like organically found you and I was like, this is this is awesome. And then you shot me the message and stuff. But it is it is a great time for doing a podcast or something like that. I mean, you've got not only do you have everybody working at home or a lot of people working at home that are able to work. 
Um, but you know, everybody's kind of home and it's, it, it is a good time to connect with people and discuss yeah. things and kind of, you know, also reflect on some of the good times that, uh, we may have had in the past and then mm -hmm. are looking forward to in the future to kind of keep us getting through this current time. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I was trying to do. I love nerd stuff or music. Obviously I work in the music industry, so it's all stuff I'm super passionate about. And I've been listening to podcasts for a few years now and I've kind of always wanted to start one, but it was either I didn't have the time or I didn't really have an idea that I thought was cool enough to really dive into. And then this whole thing comes about and I was like, I went to my wife, Sam, and I was like, maybe I'll start that podcast I want to start to. And she's like, why, why not? You know? And that, that's I, such I, a cool thing. Yeah. I, I think that that's such a cool thing. And that, that's kind of what I would hope, you know, it's a scary and tricky time. And, and I know people have gone through a lot. And some of my, some of my close friends have had like, you know, like my childhood best friend lost his brother to this. And like, awesome. you know, there, there's just like a lot of like, just, kind of crazy things going on right now and i think one of the only positives that you could possibly take from a situation like this is to go and do things that you've been wanting to do that you haven't had the time to do right. that also you're presented with i mean and not everybody has to do that if somebody wants to just chill for a couple months and, and binge netflix then yeah more more power to them but i think it's great when i hear friends that are like hey i'm finishing that writing that record i always wanted to or or I'm writing a book or I'm starting a podcast or something that's really inspiring to me because yeah. I see people doing it. And then I'm just like, good for them. Awesome. Maybe I should do something too. And, and I think that's, um, I think it's a cool thing that you're doing this. I think it's a, it's perfect time. And I think it, it helps out. It helps out not only provide people with some kind of entertainment during their day to day, but also helps in like an inspiring way to like, uh, Hey, maybe I should start my own podcast or do my own thing. And I, I think that's a cool thing. I think that's what people need right now is that kind of inspiration. That's very nice of you to say. That's awesome. <laughs> so I know we were talking a little bit before of what we should do the episode on before we planned on actually doing it. And I know you said you're into collecting graphic novels. So I want to know what got you into that. And then after that, what's your favorite graphic novel? It could sure. be either of all time or newer one that you're into either way. So I, for me with comics, um, I was always kind of drawn to comics when I was younger. Uh, basically I, I used to like to draw a lot. Uh, my okay. uncle was a very good artist and, uh, I would always see him kind of drawing these sketches out. And that, that's actually something I was drawn to first was the, the art element of comics was sketching and, I never got too good at it. My little sister actually got into it and she got her degree in art and, oh, and everything wow. and went with that. Um, and all her friends became like tattoo artists and they, they fully went for it. I never really pursued visual art myself, but that's the thing that drew me to it first. And then I, I really connected, you know, as a kid, I was really into like the X-Men cartoon series same <laughs> and the Batman animated series yep. and the Spider-Man series. Those are pretty big for me when I was young. And I, I remember like, you know, I'll never forget uh, being a kid when the X-Men series was doing the dark Phoenix saga and yep. like just videotaping it on like VHS tape <laughs> and just rewatching that series over and over again. So I think I got in through that because there wasn't really the comic book movies. No, you know, <laughs> not when, like it is today. <laughs> Yeah, not like it is today. I mean, you had Batman and Superman, uh, but that's kind of 
almost it for that. Yeah, uh, they time didn't. Period. Yeah, they didn't come until. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The early two thousands. Well, a little before because Blade came out in like ninety eight or something. But you had a couple things. Yeah, yeah you had like when I was 12, my favorite movie was the crow, which was a comic. Oh yes. 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 Um, and, and you had a couple like fringe comic book adaptation films, uh, you know, even in the early two thousands, things like road to perdition and stuff, which people might not realize was a comic book first. Um, and some of the, you know, from hell and some weird movies like that, that were not a comic series, but like a graphic novel more or less. Um, but yeah, so the, the cartoon show was a big thing for sure getting into it. And, uh, I did love, um, the Tim Burton Batman movies. Those are big for me when I was young. Um, but yeah, I eventually got into that. I had a, it's funny because I I read a lot now. I I read a lot of like, uh, books and literature now, but when I was younger, I had a tough time reading. I, for some reason, you know, my attention, I just couldn't focus on it, but comics provided me a way to read stories that was just a lot more engaging to me. Yep. Um, and so I really gravitated towards them and I had like a comic book store around kind of close to me and I would kind of like do all my chores for a month and maybe my parents (laughs) would bring me to the comic book store. Um, and, and it was next to an arcade, too. And there was that oh, X-Men wow. arcade game. Oh, yeah. Remember the X-Men arcade game? That thing yep. was great. And that, that ties so cool. in, too. So I think with, with that stuff, I, I was really, really into it for a lot of years. I collected a lot of issues and stuff like that, as much as you could when you, you know, have no source of income. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, so, you know, collect, you know, cans of soda and recycle them <laughs> and try to get the the latest Spider-Man issue. Um, so I was into them pretty hard for a number of years and I did drift away for a long time. Uh, when I discovered hardcore punk and metal, I just went nuts. Like my high school was defined by being into hardcore and stuff like that. So I, I kind of stopped looking at comics for a bit and then specifically getting into graphic novels was just like a, a matter of like, when I rediscovered comics, I had discovered that there had been this whole world of adult oriented comics like yep. Sin City, uh, Watchmen, V for Vendetta, Creature, mm-hmm. uh, Hundred Bullets, things like that, that I just had missed, you know, during my time of getting into like hardcore stuff. And when I discovered that kind of more adult, uh, extreme line of comics, I got into collecting. That's when I switched over to graphic novels because I didn't have. I wanted to consume as much of it as I could without yeah. having to track down all the different issues and stuff. I just wanted the full story arcs, no advertisements, no yeah. things like that. Like I just wanted to get in and I wanted to, I figured for my money, the the most I could consume was doing the graphic novels and stuff. So I, I fully got back into comics in the early two thousands. And I have to say there was a period of time where I was living with, uh, Matt Fox from Shai Hulud 
and when we lived together, he was very knowledgeable about comics and stuff. Yes. And so he let me borrow a number of uh, graphic novels and things like that. And he, he really helped me get back into that stuff. And that's to get to my all time favorite. I have a very generic favorite, um, <laughs> but that would be Watchmen. I mean, Watchmen is easily my favorite book. When, when I read that, that blew my mind apart. And that was yep. really the thing that kind of pulled me back in. I, I didn't realize that comics could function at uh, such a form of basically high literature. Watchmen is like yeah. high literature that I, it, it just blew me away. And I, I didn't know anything about it. There, you know, the movie wasn't out or anything. And so all the twists and turns really floored me. Yeah. And, um, you know, still to this day, I, I greatly revere that book. And I would say Watchmen and then Garth Innes's Preacher is yep. probably my favorite long running series. Those are probably my two favorite comic book, you know, series more or less. Even the Watchmen's only the, the you know, few issues really. But yeah, uh, those are probably be my favorite graphic novels. And it's funny because as much as I love Watchmen and Preacher and absolutely revere those, I have seen neither the show for Watchmen or Preacher. Though I do plan on watching those eventually. I've kind of let them do their thing, and you know, I'll watch them eventually. I was going to ask you because. The Watchmen show is probably the best season of TV I've ever seen in my life. And I've watched I've, a lot of shows. <laughs> I've heard I've heard that from many people and I, I greatly look forward to watching it. I, it I kinda is wanted it insane. to just like I kinda wanted all the episodes to come out so mm-hmm. I could just prepare myself and then take it all in. And one thing I have been doing, um, even though I haven't watched that show, I have been listening to the score the Trent Reznor score for Watchmen and it's fantastic I'm a big fan of movie scores and uh that's like a huge influence on me and my personal music writing and uh, I have a lot of respect for Trent Reznor especially when it comes to film score stuff so even though I haven't seen the show I can tell you that the score for Watchmen is fantastic it's super dark dreary synth based it fits so well with the show too You'll definitely have to let me know when you watch the show because it is unbelievable. I I can't even like wrap my head around how because it's a sequel to the book, not the movie. Though yeah. the movie is the movie is the fucking graphic novel. They just change the way of how the ending happens, and I hate when people shit on that movie because it's a great movie. I think it's a fantastic movie too. I think it's very uh, underrated. When I watched that movie, I, I was like, oh, this is this is a masterpiece. You know, I was, I was really blown away when I first watched it in theaters, but I think one of the things that might've helped me was already loving the source material. Right. So I think some of the blanks that people that might not be familiar with the comic, um, I had been able to fill in some of the blanks and right. also as much as Watchmen is one of my all time favorite books. And I do love the ending. I thought the way that they handled the ending in the movie was fantastic. Like, yeah, I, I thought it made sense for the condensed storyline uh, to, yeah. to not try to have such a lofty end. And, and it hits all <laughs> the central points for the characters, I think, still. So it, um, I, I do appreciate that movie, uh, especially the way that it's shot and, yeah. and the casting and the, the way that they decided to how they represented Dr. Manhattan and all these tricky things. I thought they did a very, a very good job. But yeah, the show is a sequel to the, the comic itself. So yeah. obviously there's the slightly different ending and things like yeah. that. But, you know, I yeah, think that's... 
like like you said, the ending was fit perfectly because it made more sense other than having an octopus. Like a like especially in that time that it came out, people couldn't grasp the crazy wackiness of comic or you know comic material put on the screen. Like people didn't get it even when they first started doing the MCU. They almost kind of or the DC movies. They would kind of change the comic accurate uh, costumes to make them more modern in a way. But now you've come to a, you put anyone in a full costume straight from the comics and people are like, yeah, that's fine. You know, but back then it was, people were like, what the fuck is that? What are they, what are they wearing? You know, cause it, a lot of people that consume this stuff aren't really comic people, you know, it's the, now comic book movies are the most popular thing in the world, you know, and not all of, you know, a majority of these people don't read comics. I was kind of one of the, like, I love the cartoons, like you said, when I was a kid, I didn't get into comics till way later. And like, I always, I loved the movies. I loved Batman's like one of my favorite things of all time since I was a child. And I didn't, I didn't start getting into the comics until I was in my twenties. So, you know, I, I wasn't aware. And then I, started as more movies came out and the mcu grew and everything i just started wikipediaing everything and then i was like well instead of just wikipediaing everything i'm just going to read these books so i have a i have like a short box full of like single issues that are just kind of like you know stuff i've collected or whatever Mm -hmm. but a majority is is graphic novels because like you said it's way easier to read It, it is cheaper too anyway but it's just so much easier. Like, oh, hey, you know, even if it's a huge long story, you know, across eight or 10 volumes or whatever, still you just get the volumes. I mean, you can buy the omnibuses that have them all, but I like the smaller books for the most part. It just, I, I, I do know. too. Just for the ease of, yeah. of being able to carry them somewhere or yeah. just <laughs> them, reading them. That's a really interesting point. I, I think that you brought up too with uh, how the comic book film has adapted and stuff. The thing about Watchmen is that Watchmen, the comic is a critique on comics. So Watchmen, Watchmen, the film kind of functions as a critique on comic book films. But like you're saying, they were still finding their footing at the point that that came out. They were still finding, this is before I remember when the MCU stuff came out and, you know, right away, uh, Iron Man was a lot of fun. But nobody could have guessed that it would have gone to what it was. And I think by the time you started to see films like Winter Soldier and stuff like that, where it got maybe a little more serious in tone, um, is really when it started to boom in popularity. Uh, At that point, they're still figuring it out. So a film like Watchmen coming out and being critique of comic book movies is tough because what it's critiquing is not this vast wealth that people are familiar with. So it's almost critiquing the future of how that storytelling is. It was yeah. going to be. So. That's a good point. Um, I was going to ask, have you read Doomsday Clock? I have not. So it just wrapped up a few months ago. It was supposed to be a year. I don't even think it was supposed to be a year. And it took two years to finish 12 issues. I know they only have, because they did a thing, because I bought it issue by issue because my wife, that's like what almost skyrocketed me into comics pretty much is that she bought the first issues of first two issues of doomsday clock for me for like my birthday. And then I just kind of, I was like, Oh, I'm going to go buy all the ones that are already out or whatever. And then, so I just, that's one of the, I have the full run of it because I was like, Oh, I have them. So I might as well keep going. And, but then 
with like two issues left, they released a trade for issues one through six. So I bought that because I love trades and yeah. I'm guessing they'll do a one that's the second half and then they'll do another one. That's all of it too. So <laughs> yeah, I'll have to grab that for sure. I, I, I've kind of missed some of the, I, I didn't read the before Watchmen stuff. Oh it's yeah. Funny, when, when, when I love something, when I really love something, when it comes to storytelling, I'm always apprehensive when it's continued, but I had such a complete experience with it. Yeah. Um, I will always check it out eventually, but I don't race to it. And I kind of let my expectations <laughs> subside a little so I can take the, the newer thing for what it is, as opposed to, you know, having to weigh it against this thing that has such value to me. Yeah. It's, it's really cool because it's obviously really the only thing that Watchmen has been included in since the graphic novel, really. Mm-hmm. And they finally interact with all the other famous DC characters, which is super cool to see, like the dynamic between the two. And just they do a, such a great job of keeping the same vibe and tone of Dr. Manhattan through it. And that's as soon as you get like through the halfway point, it starts really getting into like Dr. Manhattan and him understanding like the multiverse and superman and batman and stuff and it's, that's really cool it's really really He's cool probably, manhattan's probably my favorite character um i think when i was younger when i first read the book rorschach was my favorite character and he's still one of my all-time favorites but the older i get the more i relate to the the, <laughs> the kind of isolation of uh dr manhattan you know yeah. like um so that's cool i would love to see his take on that stuff or at yeah. least the, the author's take on his understanding yeah, I would I would def have to definitely have to say that Dr. Manhattan is one of my favorite comic book characters ever. It sucks because there's not obviously not much, you know, there's only two runs of comics and then a movie and a TV show. Really, that's all you have of Dr. Manhattan. So it's such a little, but maybe that's why I like him so much because, you know, he hasn't been tainted with anything. Like everything he's been in has been awesome. So it's, you know, he's at like a different standard that everything is. You know, there's been a million Batmans. There's been thousands of batman runs you know so it's yeah it's it's not easy to compare you know it's it's <laughs> the guy's only been in like four things throughout comics and tv and movies you know? <laughs> yeah there's there's something about the purity of uh not having to force additional story arcs or things like that like you you just get to experience him in a few books and there's something about the purity of that that does mean that i don't know i, I could see that being like a he's untainted in a way like it's yeah. just that everything's been a home run with him so yeah, yeah for sure so circling back into music i want to know what band or maybe show you went to that just made you think i want to do this i want to be in bands i want to tour i want to feel what i'm feeling right now but from the other side of it i would say uh a big one when i was growing up and i was like pretty young you know, like most people, I, I, my age, I got into Metallica and I I think Metallica was a big one for me. Um, they had like a live, uh, VHS thing called live shit binge and purge. And that live record, I used to, when I was like really young, right when that came out, it's early nineties, I would just watch that thing over and over again. I was like, this is so cool. And then the the first concert I went to when I was like really hooked on stuff was um, Deftones, White Zombie, Pantera in like 1995. Wow. Uh, and 
I was just the Deftones were the opening band. I never heard of them. They <laughs> were crazy. they were yeah, they were on their first record. They were I, I think that they were actually about to release their first record. They were about to release Adrenaline. They were doing like the tour kind of to like hype up, up the record. Yeah. Yeah. And so I went and I was just like, what? Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is so cool. My my dad took me and uh, my childhood best friend, John Ross. He, he took us to the show and we were like 13 years old, something like that. And it was just the coolest experience. And ever since then, I was just like, I want to do this i never thought i mean I, truthfully i've never been at anything remotely close to that level at all but i never thought i would uh have the opportunity to play music and have anybody else care about it and i've been fortunate enough to play music where there's at least a couple people that appreciate it you know so um but that was i would say that's probably the big thing is going going to see deftones white Tommy pantera and and uh also just listening to Metallica. I, I remember listening to Metallica, the live Metallica record, riding in the car to go to that show. And I was just oh, like, wow. so roped into it. It just seemed so mythical. Uh, the size of those bands, they seemed like just giants to me. And <laughs> yes. um, I just thought it was so cool, you know, listening to that stuff. But I remember having my CD player in my room and just, playing the same couple CDs that I had over and over again. And, you know, all the stuff that you do when you're like 12, I was like yep. air guitar and the stuff and, and <laughs> uh, you know, things like that. I just was so, so captured by what it made me. It just gave me such a feel of such an escape from life, you know, similar, I guess the way the comics were and stuff, it was just like an escape from, you know, the kind of, mundane tasks that I had as a kid between school and chores and you know I, I kind of grew up on like a, a road that was like a busy street it's like a highway so I didn't really have like a neighborhood I could run around in so I was indoors for a lot of stuff or you know in the backwoods but I, I was on my own for a lot of stuff and like comics and music were really the escape from all that that's awesome that's re that's really cool Metallica gotta love them <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just metallica if you're in your like mid 30s they were just the biggest thing ever and they yeah. were the gateway to so much stuff and and really through them you know you can listen to some of those early thrash records and then hear them covering like the misfits and then you try to figure out what the misfits are and then right you know you it, there's a whole like line right from that into hardcore punk yeah uh, for sure you know in like bands like 
Slayer and stuff were also covering hardcore punk bands like Minor Threat and TSOL and stuff like that. So I kind of, I definitely got into hardcore through like a Minor Threat cassette tape that I got because of bands like Metallica and Slayer talking about early hardcore punk. That's awesome. That's really cool. You said, how old were you in 95? So in 90, so I'm 37 right now. So I, I was in 95, I was like 13. Oh, okay. So yeah, I'm like seven years younger than you. So I was like a little behind the cassette stuff. I think I had a few. I think I had like Green Day Dookie on cassette, I think. Nice. Which is pretty cool. I kind of wish I still had it because I have some like, because obviously the new thing bands have been doing cassettes because they're super cheap to make. So yep. anytime I see them, I'll always buy one because I just think it's cool. I don't know. <laughs> it, is a, it is a cool thing. Cassettes are fun. I mean, I used to buy them uh, simply because, you know, there was no way to like listen to music before kind of buying it or having somebody show you it back in the 90s you know there wasn't really the internet to listen to stuff and if you didn't know a band at all uh, the cassette cost like half the price so if you were just going to kind of jump in on a band you could buy a cassette and uh, take the risk for it and you know instead of you know one cd that you know that you're going to love you could try two cassettes or something um and so that was kind of the way for for me and i do think that there is a sound there is a charm to the way cassettes sound because it is analog like a vinyl record um cassettes are analog and they have like a different feel with with a cd you could theoretically download um the exact file that's on the cd but for you can't download a cassette or a vinyl record it's its its own organic form and uh i i kind of think cassettes sound cool that's how when i learned recording when i started getting into recording was also in the mid 90s when i was super young wow. uh, i was recording onto four track cassette tape machines and i, I was doing oh. demos for bands and things like that onto four track cassette you know in the in like 96 like you know i was like 14 figuring that stuff out we we're making that's hardcore demos and stuff so uh cassettes were really cool as like a, a means you know like i I didn't prefer it over the CD, but I did prefer the cost. And they, they also didn't, um, they didn't skip the same way, you know, like when you're carrying CDs around in your pocket, like a, just a kind of dumbass teenager, you know, (laughs) they would get scratched up and stuff like that. But the cassette would, was a little more sturdy for that. Yeah. I do remember though, I would get blank cassettes and when I would hear something on the radio, I liked, I would record it. So I would, I would make like mix, cassette tapes with yeah, songs absolutely. i do remember that you talking about that reminded me of that before mixed cds were really a thing or because well, yeah like like you said it was the internet wasn't around yet so it was hard you would have had to have had the cds and then i don't even think there was like really programs to burn cds like that back then no not you know until i think the really in the early 2000s you're absolutely right like mixed tapes were such a big thing i know that's like a trope but that's a real yeah. thing my friend I mentioned a couple times John he uh you know he eventually moved out of the school system that I was in and I used to mail him cassette tapes of like dude this wow. is what I'm listening to we'd make cassette tapes and it, yeah, they were so cheesy if if anybody were to listen to those now because I used to like pretend it was a radio show you know <laughs> so I would like up next we have this song from this band you know and That's then amazing. I would play the cd and uh you know tape the track from the cd and then you know, be like, well, that guitarist also plays in this band. So I had to make these like tapes and mail them to him. And uh, 
he would send me stuff back and forth and that was a big way that we would like discover bands or if a friend brought a cd over you could make a tape of that oh, cd yep you know um before you could copy the cd proper so it was yeah. definitely a i think that that's it's funny because i didn't even mention that but you're right on it was a means of sharing music yep. that we didn't have before so the cassette tape was massive for that and taping stuff off the radio i remember calling in radio stations and just being like can you play this this new deftone song I, <laughs> I really want it for like a tape you know and they sure enough they would be like yeah and this one's for greg out in burlington connecticut you oh know my God. uh here's seven words by deftones or something like that so yeah it was a, definitely an important thing for sharing music that's so cool i i never would have thought to call into the radio station and be like yo can i can you play the song so i can put on a cassette that's amazing yeah and they would do that too if you, if, because wow. it was it was a cool thing our, our, our like local connecticut uh it was like what was it called like wccc the rock or something like that they um they would do it they would you know they'd be playing something it'd have to be something that was on rotation because i remember calling with friends and being like can you guys play cannibal corpse and they're like no we're not gonna play cannibal corpse <laughs> so we would get shot down on some of the stuff when our uh, tastes became a little more extreme but yep. that was definitely a cool thing that's awesome so obviously you were saying how you were getting into bands and that's what made you want to play in a band so what were your first bands like and is it safe to say that when you joined misery signals that was the first bigger band you were in um, no, I, I, so my first bands in the nineties, uh, th those were, yeah, those were all small, just like high school bands. A yeah. lot they, my first bands were honestly very grindy, oh, okay. uh, kind of crust oriented bands. Like my oh. first couple of cassette tapes are all, you know, first band I played in was this band called Putrid Waste. That was like a grindcore band with blast beats and all this stuff. It's actually very similar to end. Uh, wow. You know, when, when people, and I, I just found the old future waste cassette tape that I recorded. I just found it a couple weeks ago in like a, crazy. unpacking something from a move. I was like, Holy shit. I haven't listened to this in years. And I put it on and sure enough, the first part that hits in is a blast beat. And I was like, wow, this is, and that's like 96 or 90, probably 97. <laughs> so I was doing something similar to what, the band that I play in now, what end sounds like with the blast beats and the kind of intensity yeah. of that. And then, and then my, my style of stuff switched more towards like melodic hardcore stuff. And, um, I played in a number of bands, uh, actually before misery signals. And that's how I even got into misery signals was through, I played in this band. Uh, I played in with honor and. Oh, you were in with honor. I, for yeah for a little bit for a wow. brief period of time playing this band with honor i was in uh this band the risk taken i played in shy Halud. i played in this band zombie apocalypse with the shy Halud guys i played in like a lot of different bands that i should have all... figured after you mentioned matt fox that you were in shy Halud. <laughs> yeah everybody yeah i i one of the first big records that i produced in the studio was uh shy Halud's misanthropy pure true. record i saw that i was looking at the website and i saw that and i was like i love that record and that's awesome it's funny because I became friends with Matt Fox because my old band Ghost Ship played with them a bunch and we just became friends through that. He was our, we had an original singer when I first joined, but then we ended up kicking him out. He just was a terrible human, but that's besides yeah. the point. But the guy who joined was Keith, who 
he was in Architect and founded Hanging and he did Hellfest back in the day. Yes, I so, remember Hellfest. I, I, I should mention when it comes to, I, I'm, not to, I don't want to cut you off, but no, Hellfest 2000, life-changing show for me. That was definitely, when you, we were talking about shows that made me want to play music, I went to Hellfest 2000 and that was the biggest deal to me ever. And that's like really my hardcore career really took flight, you know, flight, like, you know, uh, but uh, it, it, it started to happen after that. But yeah, continue, continue on with. Uh, yeah, that makes total sense. So obviously Keith knew Matt Fox for ever. And then yeah. we eventually played a bunch of shows together because that's when they kind of got back together. They did that record with Chad where Chad yep. just did vocals, but um, they started playing shows again. So anytime they would come around, I would either go to the show or we'd be playing it. And they ended up playing one of our release shows and stuff in Syracuse. And then we just I, yeah, become I, friends I, from that pretty I, much. Should I allude? Unfortunately, so I, I had, you know, tour was a touring guitarist for them around the time of doing Miss Anthony Pier. And then, and, and me and Matt had, kind of like lived together i was staying at his place in new york and he played in the band the risk taken that i was doing on guitar for a little bit and uh all this stuff and then him and i actually had a bit of a, a falling out around 2008 and i haven't talked to him since 2008 oh, really? and yeah and it's it's i uh you know if he's out there listening to this or whatever, like I would love to rekindle that friendship at some point. We had a, a very tense working time. It was very stressful and, um, you know, had kind of led to one thing or another, but I, I still think I, I still revere Shilute as being one of my all time favorite bands. And absolutely. I love that record that they did with Chad that reached beyond the sun. Yeah. I think that they're a, a amazing band and that he is a brilliant writer even though we had our own difficulties and we're going our you know kind of own ways um i i do respect him a lot as a writer and i do think shilute is a massively influential band on me and my songwriting i love they were like one of my favorite hardcore bands in high school and uh my college years but before you know playing with them and um doing that record together uh they were just like this hugely important band to me and 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 years later getting kind of past our like you know more or less falling out i um still appreciate the music you know i still absolutely appreciate and revere the music and reference it all the time they're in an, a criminally underrated band when it comes to because they almost created a, a genre in a way you know what i mean melodic like, melodic metalcore i mean they, they would you know, Matt would tell you the influences that they had, like Burn and uh, Turning Point, some stuff like that, or, you know, things that influenced them. But really, Shilute and Strongarm yeah. are the two bands that basically, in my mind, created melodic metalcore that you would not see bands like uh, Counterparts, Hundredth, all that stuff. That, that no just way. would not exist without, you know, the um, those bands coming out and, and doing what they did. Uh, they just you know, they took all the stuff that was happening in the kind of metallic hardcore world and uh, through that melody, through that like sad, you know, and triumphant at the same time melody into there and the complexity of the lyrics and the issues that they were dealing with were very different than what a lot of hardcore bands were dealing with at the time. Yeah. And uh, 
they really that's a really big turning point for hardcore stuff i know melodic metalcore is not you know necessarily the biggest thing the biggest like subgenre of like hardcore or something like that but it yeah. is very important to a lot of people and i do yeah. fully credit them and strong arm for being uh the ones that put it together um really put all the pieces together to the the degree that would become that genre first yeah and I, i've said the same thing to matt too and he always denies it he's like no he's like those bands still would have happened and i'm like no they wouldn't I, I always call counterparts and this is not uh like a diss on counterparts at all because i love counterparts i think they've put out phenomenal phenomenal records and they're probably one of my favorite current bands for sure and i always say they're a marketable shyloof because yeah you I, know the, I, the the instrumental it's very it's very similar it's still very complicated and you know everything with them is very shy s but i think it's more of just the lyrics and the delivery are mo- way more digestible to because obviously people like us who have been engrossed in music we listen to shy and we're like wow this is insane this is nuts but you know the normal person who doesn't know anything they're like i just want to enjoy it you know th- that might not be the thing for them you know it might be hard for them to get into it you know yeah, it's a ch- it's challenging music. I mean, it doesn't follow uh, traditional song structuring. No. Uh, it has a lot of complexity in terms of feel and rhythm and stuff like that. Uh, and, and I actually agree. It's it's when I first heard Counterparts, uh, I heard it in the studio. I was working with um, you know a couple younger bands here, and they were like, "We absolutely love this band, Counterparts." And I didn't listen to it yet. When I heard it, I was like, "Oh, it's like Shylude. It's like." Uh, yeah a new kind of Shiloh thing, you know? Um, and that is, I, I, you know, obviously I've grown to appreciate them and then being in and with right. singer Brendan, um, you know, it's given me a whole new respect for them and ac- actually being able to tour with them is what really sold me on counterparts because they are phenomenal sounding live. Like they are just such yeah. a unit, such a tight unit and all the years of nonstop shows really goes into honing the craft that band is is rock solid so you know i absolutely appreciate them but my first reaction you know my first reaction was yeah this is like a new generation's shy loop that that's what i first took it in as yeah a hundred percent so those are the bands that kind of led to you being in misery signals you being in like with honor and shy Halud and stuff like that. yeah yeah so when was if, if you, i mean i can tell the story how i got into misery singles it's kind of oh, like please a, i would love know, to hear it, it. It's a journey through multiple bands. Uh, but when With Honor started, those were all really close friends of mine from Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Um, they had started this band. Uh, and really before they played their first show, uh, Seven Angels, Seven Plagues had broken up. Um, and they were going to start Misery Singles. Because Misery Singles was basically the last lineup of Seven Angels, Seven Plagues. Wow, uh, I didn't even was, know that. <laughs> yeah, which was their their like metalcore band beforehand. And what they did, they actually got the guitarist from With Honor, Jeff, um, really before they like even played their like first show, th- he moved out to Milwaukee to join and start Misery Signals. Um, wow. So the first Misery Singles EP uh, has Jeff Ost from With Honor on guitar. Um, because Seven Angels had toured with his band, Homardia. They had done a bunch of shows together. And um, so he moved out to Milwaukee to start Misery Signals, and that left his spot open and with honor. And I, since I already knew all the guys, I, I, you know, and had been in bands with most of the guys in that band, 
um, I had just started playing and with honor and touring. So actually the first, pretty much the first misery signals tour was with, with honor when I was playing in with honor. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, you know, this is back in, um, 2003 or so and, uh, 2002, 2003, something like that. And yeah, we did uh, shows with Misery Signals and Every Time I Die, it was like their first or second tour. So they were just starting off and I really got along with the Misery Signals guys right away. And I loved the band right away. Yeah. Um, and I remember around that time period, it's so funny looking back on all this, but around that time period, I remember the guitarist in Misery Signals, Ryan, he had... Uh, he had a pedal malfunction or whatever. And I actually gave him my delay pedal that I had because I was like, really, I got, I kind of got out of using pedals. A lot of my early bands used a lot of pedals and had a lot of like kind of post metal influence sneaking into it, but they were breaking all the time. And I was like, so frustrated taking them on tour. <laughs> I, I gave him my delay pedal and, uh, you know, was like, dude, you're doing so much cool stuff with this. You just have this. And it's funny because I think that's the pedal he ended up using on the first Misery Singles album, Malice, wow. you know. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I'd given him the pedal. And it was just like, dude, go for it. And we, so we had gotten along. We were like friends like right away. And went, and Jeff only stayed in Misery Singles for like six months or something like that. And he kind of missed it back home and he moved back home. Uh, and at that point, I had thought about hitting up misery signals and being like dude i love the band like maybe i'll move out and join you right. know if, you, if you're looking for a guitarist but i ended up staying in connecticut i ended up trying out for shilude and not making it to shilude i try i tried out and wow. uh it, it it the tryout went really well but there was something where like matt thought i was like too nice or too kind to do. it was like a weird thing he was like he just didn't think I personality was going to be a, a fit for the band. So we, instead we started another project, this band zombie apocalypse. So it was like weird. So I tried out for shy and he's like, I don't know if it'll fit for that, but do you want to do this band zombie apocalypse that I'm starting? So I played in that project. We played Hellfest 2004 uh, on the same stage as misery signals right before misery <laughs> Signals. So I got to see those guys again. And I was like, Oh, how are you guys doing? They're like, Oh, you're playing in this band's army piles. We love Shiloh. That's cool that you're doing this. So I reconnected with them there. They still had their original singer, Jesse at that point. And, uh, you know, zombie apocalypse led to, or like around that time I started the band, the risk taken, which was like a smaller kinetic hardcore band. We never released an album. We used to have like an EP out, but we played with misery signals. And those guys remember that, um, because you know, we had like a pretty good reaction in Connecticut at the time. So when we played with them here, it was like a crazy show. That was right. 2006. And then, you know, thing, things go from one to another. Uh, Shilud, you know, had a tough time keeping a guitarist, you know, classic uh, kind of issues with that band. They had a tough time with lineup changeovers. So yep. I ended up touring and and because um, we were – you know, we were doing zombie apocalypse and all this stuff. I ended up touring and, and doing Miss Anthony Pure with Shy Lude and we toured with Misery Signals. <laughs> so it's my again, you know, on the road with Misery Signals and stuff like that. And uh had a great time with them. So it was it was a Shy Lude Misery Signals tours, like four and a half or five weeks in Canada. Lo absolutely loved hanging out with those guys, got along with them perfectly. And then, you know, fast forward to 2010. 
Stu and Kyle, who's the bass player and guitarist from Misery Signals, they, they left the band. And that Misery Signals in this like state of, is this going to be a band or not or whatever. And Ryan just kind of went on this vision quest and he kind of like traveled across the country and he stayed at my house in Connecticut when he tra was traveling across the country, just kind of like, you know, had been so used to touring. I think he, he they were doing like 300 shows a year. Wow. And so then he went to like no touring and he didn't know to do himself. So he's like touring himself kind of <laughs> visiting friends, <laughs> you know? So he stayed at the studio and, and, and uh, we listened to records. We had like a great night. We played chess and listened to records all night. And uh, he kind of hit me up like a couple months later and was just like, Hey, do you want to maybe come out and like try out for misery singles or something like that? And it was such a fun, it was such a funny thing. Cause we had, it almost happened so many times and right. and I was like yeah man hell yeah I had I wasn't playing in Hulud anymore um risk taken had broken up uh there was you know I didn't have much going on like I had just my schedule had just cleared from doing music and I went out and tried out and we did it and what to bring the thing full circle when I joined the band I didn't have a functioning delay pedal so he had, he so ryan bought me a delay pedal to make up for the one that i had given him eight years before wow uh, that was my delay pedal i still use that for everything that i do now so he had bought me that and like we're like okay we're gonna finally go and, and do this so, so it was this long journey to get into that band um and it was just a really cool thing and, and we're still even though i don't play in misery singles actively anymore uh, I'm still very close to those guys and, um, you know, worked and helped produce and mix the new record and, uh, and, and involved in talking to them and all their plans. I still have yeah. nothing but love and respect for those guys. So it was a long journey to get there. And I was, you know, still happy to be involved in them now. It was uh, quite a, quite a thing. Almost happened many times. That's crazy. That's insane. It. <laughs> yeah. What a full circle thing. That's wild. Yeah, it's just totally, totally wild thing. But I, I, I love those dudes, and I loved my years uh, playing with them and, and doing music with them and uh, still still uh, being very close and connected to those guys. You know, I, I, I love and respect them greatly. I know you recorded the last record they put out before they started putting out, they put out that new song, and you talked about you uh, recorded their newer record that's, I'm guessing, coming out eventually sometime. Yep, coming out in uh, August. Oh, it is coming out in August. Oh, right, right. Yeah. I forgot they launched pre-orders for that. So did you write any of that stuff for the, that record before? So the the previous record, uh, Absent Light, that I helped produce, yeah, I wrote, yeah, I was like full-on writer in that. So I wrote awesome. um, half the record with Ryan. Uh, him and I wrote the music and lyrics, actually, because Carl, wow. Carl wasn't really writing too much of the lyrics. He wasn't feeling very inspired at the time. Um, for one reason or another another person i have a lot of respect for but i probably should catch up with it's been a number of years right. um but yeah me and ryan wrote and produced that record together um so I, so when i joined that band i i really got thrown in right away i think because the band was so fragmented losing Stu and kyle who are back in the band now but losing them they were such big parts of it that ryan really needed somebody to come in and kind of help write with him and, and kind of light the fire under him to get it going again too. So um, I did jump in, you know, and was fortunate enough to jump in as, as a 
a writer on that album and worked really hard on that record. That was a super ambitious record. I think, yeah. you know, I love the the new Misery Singles album and, and uh, Malice is, you know, one of my favorite metalcore records of all time. Uh, but with with that Misery Singles album, which which really flew under the radar because we, we self-released it and um, because we self-released it, we didn't do any music videos for it and all this kind of stuff that... Right we really should have in hindsight. So a lot of people didn't uh, get too much exposure to that album. That was a very ambitious album. It's an extremely technical record. I think it's the most technical and complicated and layered of the Misery Seals albums. And it was super exhausting experience to make. We were trying a lot of new stuff. Same thing. I always get myself into these things because I, I would say probably the same thing with Shy Lude and the Santhry Pier is probably the most technical and complicated Shy Lude record, you know? Yeah, that um, album is crazy. <laughs> And so I'm always, I, I don't know what it is. I, I'm always like, oh, I love this band. Let's make everything as crazy and challenging. And, <laughs> and, 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 and truth being told, like Misanthropy Pure and Absent Light from Misery Singles, those are not popular records for the band. Like they have their fan base, but they were polarizing for the audience. Right. And um, I, some of that, I would say some of that is definitely, you know, I'd say my fault or whatever, but... <laughs> I, I think some of that is too, is because when I'm, when I'm writing music, I'm really writing stuff that is exciting to me. And I, I don't often keep in mind how it's going to translate to the audience. And, and I think, you know, that goes into the whole debate of like how pure, you know, you want to keep your art and stuff like that. But I, I'm definitely like the stubborn guy that's like, I want this to be relentless and exciting and, 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 mm. uh, a lot of twists and turns that you're not expecting, but that is totally polarizing. And it just sounds like noise to people that might hear the record. You know, it's, it goes to what you were saying with Shy Lude in general, how complicated they are. It's hard for people to get into them compared to a band like Counterparts, who's probably as technical, but they have a little more of the pop sensibility infused yeah. and, and yeah. They, they have an understanding of that. It's not as like, like like with Shy Lude and uh, definitely with Miss Anthony Pierre and with Absent Light, you have to want to get to, into those records. You have to put in time listening to unravel the complexity of it to appreciate it, I think. so. Yeah, Miss Anthony Pierre is actually my favorite Shy Lude record. Not even joking. Fuck yeah. Well, that, well that's good to hear. See, there, is, <laughs> there are people that get it. <laughs> yeah, I love, I love um, that record. I, so I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I didn't even know you were in that band at all. So this is super cool to hear the whole story of how that all happened yeah that was done i mean the room that i'm talking to i'm sitting in right now the whole all the guitars are recorded with matt laying on the couch right behind me um you know yeah that was uh i i played and toured them for a couple of years um but my main i guess contribution during the time that band was producing that record and and recording all that stuff and i was i was young and that was one of the first big records that i did at the studio um, to do an album on Metal Blade because I, I actually recorded oh, yeah. Shilude. I recorded the demo that got them signed to Metal Blade. I recorded that in the basement of Matt's house, and I was staying there. That's when I was kind of like living with him. We recorded wow. it in the basement. I moved my studio to Poughkeepsie, New York, to set up shop while this place was really being built. Uh, when the studio was really being, uh, you know, the construction work was going on it, and we did the demo that we pitched to Metal Blade that got them signed. Um, and because the demo went over well. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily Daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Metal Blade somehow had let me do the record. You know, it was like definitely the biggest thing I had done at that time. And, and like I said, despite whatever happened with me and Matt, Matt did take a, a, a risk on me. I was uh, really? very green as a producer you know i'd only been doing it for a couple of years and still figuring it out um and he let me you know produce that record so i i got to just kind of jump into a super complicated <laughs> record um and figure out a lot of things that for the first time that i didn't know how to do on that record i i, I learned how to edit guitars and drums and all that stuff, which become which would become such a staple of metalcore recording. But at that point, people were still figuring out how to use Pro Tools to to right. that effect, and uh, it was a thing I had to learn, <laughs> had to figure out, and and try to come up with a way of doing it on that album. That's so. That's amazing. That's super cool. <laughs> it's nice to hear people appreciate that because that was a lot of work it was a very exhausting record so the the fact that you like that is like okay cool like it is you know that was definitely oh, a yeah experience i mean that was i like absent light too i kind of got into misery signal super late because the way my music taste kind of evolved over the years was super kind of weird when i was probably 12 or 13 i was super into like newfound glory and then follow boy and paramore all that stuff started popping up and then i got into like pretty much like screamo for like the longest period of time like census fail under oath like a Treyu, silverstein stuff like that that was like all the stuff i loved on top of stuff like armor for sleep that was kind of like the middle ground of everything that was that's still to this day that's some of the stuff i love more than anything and the only really metalcore stuff i listened to when i was like a mid teenager, I guess was like 18 visions and as dying and like kill switch. And that was really it. Yep. And then for a while I didn't get like super into like all the old metalcore bands that now I love, like even like shy Lude or um, it was until I started joining bands and playing in hardcore bands. And then I, it was kind of when the whole new wave of hardcore came out, like trapped or ice just became popular. Backtrack yep. just became popular. Cool hand just became popular. And then with that, I was like, Oh, and I just started discovering all these metalcore bands because that was in a weird time where metalcore was almost like frowned upon in a way. So tab taboo for so many years, yeah. Yeah, it, it was definitely. I I, I remember because obviously most of the bands that I've played in have are metalcore bands, right? right. And um, I remember it just had such a stigma because there were so many bands like uh, like Atreyu and things like that that were you know, using this term, I know that the Atreyu singer said, you know, like last year he was oh, like, we, we created metalcore, metal which yeah. is insane. When, <laughs> so that's like, honestly, a, just a stupid take on that. Cause that shit was around for years before, years. you know, <laughs> year, like 
metal core is the term that I used to describe earth crisis and things like that in the nineties, you know? So that was around a long time before them, but, uh, yeah, it was such a frowned upon thing. So we used to call ourselves metallic hardcore. <laughs> Try to I remember that. Differentiate yeah. yourself, you know, from uh, from from the kind of bigger stuff. It, it's funny, you know, what you were mentioning. You you got into like Newfound Glory and uh, Fall Out Boy. Th- there are direct connections between those bands and the metalcore stuff. Obviously, yeah, Fall because they or came New, from Newfound Glory. Yeah. You had Chad who played guitar, who was the first singer, or not the first singer, but on the first, first you know, record, yeah, first record. Um, and then Fallout Boy. A lot of people don't know this, but uh, Andy Hurley, who is the is the drummer of Fallout Boy, he was actually the first drummer for Misery Singles. They didn't do anything with him, but their first rehearsals were with him on <sighs> drums before Brandon Morgan was on drums. And it's so funny. I, I remember like just kind of talking to Jeff you know, the, the guy from With Honor who played guitar on that first Misery Singles record. Uh, he's like, yeah, we, you know, our drummer decided he's going to do this, like, uh, this, like, kind of pop punk band, Fall Out Boy. So we're, we're actually getting Ryan's brother to play drums. I remember having that discussion, like, where they're like, you know, Andy, we're basically like, Andy's going to try this band, see if it works. And it just, you know, Fall Out Boy ends up being one of the biggest pop bands in one of the our biggest like, bands generation. And, uh, <laughs> that dude, I got, you know, since we just mentioned him, I got to say that that guy is, is one of the most level-headed down-to-earth people in the entire music industry. For, for Fall Out Boy being as big as they are, he is just still does hardcore bands, yeah. still does these small hardcore bands. Uh, I played in a band with him in 2011 um, called The Nabler that like uh, went on to have all this like crazy stuff. There was all these like this whole like abuse scandal with the singer and the uh, you know, years after me and Hurley had left the band that kind of, oh, wow. you know, makes it where you don't really want to talk about that band too much. You know, that, can't mention them without mentioning that, but, um, but me and Andy did play in that band together. And, you know, when we were touring uh, with that band, they were another Milwaukee band. So I was playing in two Milwaukee, you know, Miser Singles and, and Able <laughs> at the same time, even though I was living in Connecticut. Uh, we were playing basements. That was a small band. We were, we were playing yeah. basements and, and there is Andy right from arena tours to these basement tours. And he drove and loaded all the equipment it was a total workhorse. That guy was committed yeah. to like the DIY punk ethic through and through. And, and I think all the success that he had made no impact on him in terms of like where his heart was at. He is a hardcore kid through and through and still does. It still plays in that band sex. Now it's an yep. awesome band. Uh, you know, so respect to him but yeah there's connections between a lot of that early stuff that people got into newfound glory fall boy even like uh my chemical romance oh yeah i was super into my chemical romance i mean i still am but (laughs) this is another another kind of you know little tidbit of fact here is the shy lude record that within blood old temper which is their second full length um all the group vocals on that record are my Chemical Romance. The, the entire band showed up at the studio and they're the gang vocals on that album, which there's a lot of group vocals on that album. Wow, that's insane. So, <laughs> yeah, there's like all these connections, a lot of that stuff, even the mainstream stuff of the early 2000s and the kind of the emo, you know, it, it is directly out of the hardcore scene. Yeah, for sure. Um, so it would make sense to me that if, if you know, 
if you got into stuff through that, that you would eventually find your way. If right. you were ever going to like the stuff, that you would find your way to it. There's direct connections and lines to that stuff. Yeah, it, it was weird too. I think it was just kind of, because I grew up in a really, really small town in upstate New York. And there wasn't really, like my first live show was a local metal show. So I, I just think there was just not, not many people who listen to that stuff. Like I was the one showing people, a lot of people showed me stuff. Like one of my friends showed me Newfound Glory. When it, but when it started to come to like more heavier bands, it was always me finding them. Because I remember I found out about Atreyu, Hawthorne Heights, and Bayside through the sampler CD, the victory sampler CD I got when I bought Taking Back Sunday Where You Want to Be. And I was like, who are these bands? Awesome. And then eventually so I started funny. going to, to shows and stuff. But yeah. Those victory samplers, it's funny because I, I even had one of those in the 90s, but it was all the bands that like that I got into uh, <laughs> for the 90s hardcore stuff because it had like Strife, Snapcase, Earth Crisis, Earth Crisis Integrity, yeah. All at War, all that stuff. And like uh, those victory samples, <laughs> samples like, those really work. Yeah, I mean, say for what sure. You will, say what you will about victory. It's like they 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 were such a hardcore label and, and turned into such a kind of corporate entity. And now, you know, mm-hmm. it's just owned by like some uh, some kind Big of major label. Yeah. Um, but they were such an important gateway label yeah. for multiple generations of kids to get into the scene. And, and, and you know... All that stuff, even like, you know, I don't listen to Atreyu or Hawthorne Heights or, or things like that, but I appreciate them as gateways. You need these things. It's, it doesn't help to go around, you know, there's so many people that are like kind of stuck up. They'll talk shit on stuff like that. They don't yeah. realize that there, there is no hardcore scene without those gateway bands for people to discover the genre. You 100%. need that stuff. And that stuff is so important. So, you know, because I'll get asked questions like, people ask me like, Oh, what do you think of like knocked loose or something like that? And, and my answer to that is knocked loose is vital to this generation of hardcore kids coming up. Like 100%. there are so many people that there, there's so many kids that might walk into a store like target and see a knocked loose CD and wonder what that is and buy that. And that's going to create an entire generation of hardcore kids. Cause they, yep. they, they will go from knocked loose to, bands like converge or things like that they will find that stuff and they get into this whole scene through that you need those torchbearer gateway bands is a vital part of the discussion of the underground there is no underground without that 100 percent. and it, crazy thing about knocked loose my old band ghost ship when we decided we were breaking up one of our last like little runs we did a weekend with knocked loose in 2014 or something and they only had the ep and I think the split out which Isaac recorded in his garage or whatever, and it yeah. had fake drums on it and everything. And they were playing like Counting Worms on this too. So like years before that record even came out, and they were already playing that stuff. And That's cool. I remember watching them play, and I was like, I kept telling them the whole weekend, I was like, "You guys are going to be massive." And they're like, "No, we're we're not we're not going to be massive." And I was like, "Yeah." I was like, "You are." I was like, "You're going to be touring with real bands within a year," and then within a year they did that counterparts tour and that case strain tour like right after that and to say like what you said about andy hurley like obviously this band sold a fuck ton of records their first week and both their last records you know they're headlining over bands that they opened for like two years ago and yep. they are like exactly what you said they are the new gateway band they, they blew up insanely fast but they they put in the work they were doing diy tours for for years until anyone gave a fuck and 
they are still the same exact dudes as they were when I met them and we were playing in front of 50 people in some shitty venue, you know, (laughs) in North, in the Northeast. I I don't know those guys super well, but we've done and has done shows with them. Um, And they've always been just super nice, very down to earth. And then again, a thing that we were talking, like, you can always tell what band is really out there grinding the road. Uh, you know, when you say that they've put in the work, you can just tell by seeing them live. Like they're such a unit. You don't even have yeah. to appreciate the style of metalcore they do. You go see them live and you're like, this band is locked in. Like they are yeah. locked in. So they're going to get on stage. You know, any casual person that went to that show is going to, you know, leave a, a fan or at least respecting the band. And that just comes yeah. through putting in work. That's, you know, that's doing those DIY tours. It's how you get there. Yeah, exactly. So I want how did end happen? Because I remember there was like rumors came up on Lam- Lamgo and stuff being like, oh, this new metalcore quote unquote super group is happening. You know, it's got members from Misery Signals, members for Fit for an Autopsy, members of Reign Supreme, members of Counterparts. And everyone was like, what is this band? And you guys came out and everyone was like, holy fuck, this band is insane. But like, how did, how did it happen? <laughs> we, um, so I think the first step uh, towards my involvement with end and everything would be that that misery singles album that we talked about absent light uh we had will putney do pre-production on that album and i never met him before and i actually didn't know him i just knew will as like a guy that had done like worked on like suicide silence and for today which are things that are not really in line with my taste as much so Um, I just knew that he had worked on records like that. So I didn't really know him, but people had suggested like our, the Misery Signals like management was like, oh, this guy's like, you know, he, he's, uh, he's into the band and he's like an up and coming force and stuff. And so we were kind of like, okay, we'll go do pre-production with him. So we went and did like a week or two at his studio back in 2013. And um, at that time, uh, you know, as soon as I met him, me and Will got along right away. Like as soon as we were discussing like our influences and stuff like that, I, I, I couldn't believe I was like, I, I just thought he was coming from a different point. I didn't realize right. that like his favorite bands were, you know, Trap Them and uh, Converge and His Heroes Gone and Turmoil and things like that. I didn't realize that we had come from a similar, you know, kind of love for the darker late 90s mm-hmm. um, metallic hardcore stuff. Um, and so him and I talked and, and we were just like, uh, really got along. And, and I knew we were in line because, you know, when, when me and Ryan, we both brought in songs um, for that Absent Light stuff. And because I had the studio, my, my demo songs that I brought in for Absent Light were like, you know, program drums, all the guitar tracks, like they were fully realized productions bass. you know, they, they sounded <laughs> like a record. And, and when Ryan brought in songs, Ryan was a little more organic with it. He'd bring in like a few riffs and we'd kind of jam out the song there and and work on it there. But Will, I knew that me and Will would get along because when we came in, like all the songs that I had, he he went through everything. He's like, okay, I don't really have any changes for these. These songs are fine. Let's work on Ryan's. And I was like, okay, me and Will are like, (laughs) we're on the same page uh, with a lot of the writing stuff. And we found that out through talking about our influences and things like that. And at the time, at the time of, uh, doing absent light me and me and hurley had left that band enabler but we had talked about starting a band uh me uh andy hurley and chris 
who sang in Cursed, and he was in this band Burning Love that had toured with Enabler. We had talked about starting a band, and for one reason, I'd started to demo out some stuff, and I told Will about that. I don't even know if Will would remember this, but I told him about that. I'd started work on this, like, kind of... Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Crusty, grindy, black metal influenced metal band and that i ended up not being involved in that that became sect so that oh I, I was, whoa yeah so so me hurley and chris were were loosely starting that project but because of the schedule with absent light being released and all this stuff i just i i i kind of for one reason or another didn't end up with it even though i love those guys and and, and love what they've done um our schedules just weren't lining up for that but i had told i had told uh will about that and he, and he was kind of like yeah that's cool it'd be awesome to do a band like that style thing or whatever and we're like well maybe we should do a band together at some point like a separate thing and it was like yeah dude it'd be awesome to do a band it's like this aggressive 90s hardcore stuff and it was cool we got along whatever then we didn't see each other for years uh right. <laughs> and uh you know didn't see each other for years and then i kind of reconnected with will that you know in 2014 or something like i would say like 2014 or 2015 something like that he had kind of called me out of the blue and he's like i still want to do that band and i've got a singer for us and i was like oh yeah and he's like let's have brendan from counterparts sing for that band he's into all the same stuff and i didn't know counter i didn't really know brendan at that point and i was like wait the guy from counterparts likes like crusty grindy you know heavy stuff i was like what i was like i was kind of surprised by that but yeah i shouldn't have been that, that was naive on my own part because why would the guy from fallout boy be into crusty <laughs> right, grindy right. stuff and not the guy from counterparts and i was like he can do that kind of voice and stuff and will was just like yeah he, he can definitely do that and honestly will put together the lineup like he wow. put together the whole thing it kind of like they were all people that he had worked with um and that he just thought would be a good fit. So I give 100% credit to Will for assembling that lineup because he had worked with counterparts. He worked with Rain Supreme. And our first drummer was uh, this, this dude, Andrew, from Structures. And he had worked with Structures. You know, so he had done all this stuff. And he just kind of put together this lineup that he wanted to do a band that closely reflected that side of his influences. You know, that, right. that kind of stuff. The Converge, Trap Them um, vibe. And I always love stuff like that. Like I said, my first bands were like that, um, <laughs> you know, and even like my hardcore band, the risk taken that I'd mentioned, we were, we, 
we had kind of were turning into that. We had done an EP and we had this unreleased full length that we worked on for years that we never put out. And I just ended up in Shilude and then Misery Singles and I, I never put it out. And I might go back to that someday and, you know, <laughs> do that. that. Um, but that, that risk taken full length was blast beats really my it sounds like it sounds like a more black metal more complicated if you could combine misanthropy pure with and that's what that record sounded like so wow we were starting to turn into that we were covering his heroes gone which is like a darker crust band that i think and sounds very similar to from the 90s that um that me and will both love and uh so yeah he had kind of hit me up and he's like i got i want to do this band and it was cool. We, I'd written a few songs for it. He kind of was like, just start writing songs. So me and Will each wrote songs on our own. And we had kind of sent them, you know, we had started this group chat with the band and we kind of sent them to each other. We kind of picked the songs that we liked. The, the first EP for End is funny because it's three Will songs and it's three songs for me. And they're back to wow. back and back, you know, like <laughs> we just kind of wrote these songs because we didn't get together as a band until we were in the studio. And I, so oh I met the God. guys who were in the studio ready to record the record. And we had, when like Lamb Goat was like doing the, when they had first posted about it and stuff, we had actually recorded the EP. It took us a year to release that first EP. Yeah. And at the time that we released that first EP, we were already writing and recording the full length, which again, <laughs> took us over a year or so, a year or two to put out. Um, so yeah, the band kind of came together through Will putting everything, you know, he was just like, these are, dudes that he wanted to work with and honestly i feel super honored that he hit me up and 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 a thing that's interesting about will will has like he is such a prolific producer um and he is just a, an absolutely dominating force in the metal hardcore production right now yeah. and <laughs> he is the guy he is the guy but what is again what i'm so lucky with uh we're just coming across these dudes he is so down to earth with stuff. Like you would think Will, who is such an influential and important producer of this era, might be, might, might be difficult to work with or, or controlling to some degree. He is not at all. And with end, all the writing is split between him right down the middle. We fully respect each other. We, we absolutely let the dudes in the band do what they want to do, you know, and, and it's like a really cool collaborative band. I would say that End is one of the most collaborative, positive uh, working experiences I've ever had. And, wow. and I think that's one, I think we really lucked out with that because a lot of bands that are comprised of bands of like, of, of members from a lot of different bands who have maybe done a number of different things, those can be really difficult. Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons a lot of those bands kind of come out and they, they, they don't do so well because all the personalities, they don't know how to get along. With end, it really is just a positive, collaborative thing. We tr we all trust each other to do our thing, and that makes for such a good environment for making music. It's like I, you know, the guys trust me and Will to kind of write the songs, and we trust Billy to, you know, who's our current drummer, the uh, Billy Reimer from Dillinger Escape Plan. He, you know, we trust him. He's going to do crazy stuff on drums. We trust <laughs> right. Brendan to write awesome lyrics. We we trust Jay to offer his flavor with the bass and the backing vocals and stuff. And um, it's a really good experience. So yeah, but yeah, the band came about through Will kind of putting together just these people that he thought personality wise would get along and he was right on the money. Will's intuition is, is incredible. So his, his, you know, which is why he's such a good producer, but he was right on the money. We all got along. We, we all uh, writing music together is just this super fun, awesome time.
That's you know, awesome. Even though the music is so aggressive <laughs> uh, and it's, it's so like vicious and fast, the yeah. experience is really fun and positive. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. I wanted to, you kind of talked about not this in particular, but the circumstance. So I wanted to talk about the new end album. You already have a little bit, but has this whole pandemic affected the raw? I know you guys have been releasing singles regularly, like, you know, and obviously the vinyl is selling like crazy. You have like two colorways that haven't sold out yet and everything. So has it really affected everything or is everything kind of just on course? Just the whole thing of you guys, obviously you guys are supposed to be playing a lot of shows during this time of new music coming out. It's been a very interesting experience. Uh, I definitely think it's affected stuff in terms of, yeah, we can't do the touring that we wanted around it, but also um, there was a little bit of a debate um, whether or not we would release the record during right. all this. You know, there's a lot of bands, you know, there's a number of records that we've produced here uh, at the studio that are done that are just waiting till the fall or whatever. They're, they're just kind of getting shelved by the labels temporarily till the bands right. can do you know, tour and support for them. So there was a little bit of discussion as to whether or not we were going to put stuff out. And, and also during such a serious time where it's such a dark time in history, uh, do people want dark and aggressive music, you know? So there was a lot of questions about that stuff. Um, but we decided to put out the record because I, th I think really just because uh, people need stuff like that. They need an yeah. outlet. They need something to listen to. I, I know that when records come out right now, like um, one of my favorite bands, Oh Brother, uh, just put out a record. I couldn't wait to listen to that and like yeah. give me something to to do and, and absorb. So um, we decided to go for it and do it. And, and we're also a band that, uh, thankfully, because of bands that, we've been in stuff we haven't we haven't done too many shows but people have still right. been able to hear us so um touring isn't like a hasn't been a vital thing to the um development mm. of this band in the way that it has been for our previous bands so um we just kind of decided to go for it and uh the reaction has been way more positive than we were anticipating um you know like you said like a lot of the vinyl stuff sold out right away uh, we weren't expecting any of that. Actually, every step of this band, um, you know, the, the, the little bit of attention and stuff that we've had, uh, we weren't anticipating any of it at all at any point in time. So, so we're always just like, really? Oh, this is great. Awesome. But every time we're like, okay, yeah, I guess we'll put out a song. We'll see, you know, if anybody wow. cares or whatever. And um, the response has been really positive. And I think uh, for that and, and for that Misery Single single that came out, I think it's just, it's important to kind of, um, if you have your stuff already recorded and whatnot, it is a cool time to put out music because yeah. uh, people are looking for that. They're looking for, uh, uh, you know, just going right back to what I was like as a kid, you're looking for that escapism, you know, you're trapped in your house all the time and it's fun to take in music and stuff. So uh, we went ahead with the, the normal schedule that we wanted to do. Um, we put out two music videos that we shot before the whole thing. And we're supposed mm -hmm. to have, a, we're supposed to have a third music video uh, that, that couldn't get finished because of the pandemic and stuff. Right. So the, the third song that came out just kind of came out. Came out. <laughs> um, we are working on a video for a fourth song. that's going to come out the week that the record comes out. Um, so we are working on video, but, but it's cool. We had to make a completely different style video we, we had the director who did the first two videos for the album. He's filming the video by himself in his apartment. 
So uh, it's just a video of somebody trapped in their house, kind of losing their mind more or less. So uh, it's really nice. super dark and gritty, black and white, very brutal video, but we had to completely change what we were doing. Right. And so the, we were just kind of let the director, Eric Richter, who's a super interesting character, who's heavily influenced by horror films and stuff like that. He's basically making a, you know, a kind of self-made version of like a racer head or some crazy horror movie uh, in his apartment right now. And he's been working on it for weeks and, and putting this together. So it did change what we were doing, but the response has been really positive. It's hard to know what it would be like under normal circumstances, but right. um, it did alter some things, but we, we've made the we had some of the discussions. We made the decision to put out the music and, uh, you know, and just kind of let it, let it do its thing and hopefully provide people with some kind of escape. And if they're feeling frustrated about where things are at or just, you know, honestly dealing with any kind of depression or anything like that with uh, all the isolation and stuff. I mean, this was a record that was born out of that already. I was, you know, written in a dark time in uh, Brendan's life and the lyrics were pretty dark. And we, we almost had a different name for the record that we almost called it uh, isolation swarm, I think was the, first working title that we had for the album so it dealt with a lot of these themes that are unfortunately you know circumstances that a lot of people during this uh, pandemic yeah. are facing right now so we thought it was an appropriate uh an appropriate thing and and, and the album has like there's like uh we, we tried to put some kind of samples through the record like similar to a lot of the 90s hardcore uh, oh, yeah. albums that we were into so we, we have samples on the record that are not from movies or anything but are from uh, different kind of public domain uh, tapes that were taken from various interviews of people that were dealing with uh, depression and uh, addiction, things like that um, during the uh, like fifties and stuff, the, the old, like the kind of mental asylum, like tapes. And we, we infused some of those were just people where the doctors were recommending different things and they didn't really know. And, you know, uh, people i'm depressed i'm scared to go home and stuff okay well take this pill and take this and you'll be okay and we kind of you know pulled from that stuff uh not that you know nobody in the band thankfully struggles with any kind of addiction or anything like that but uh, you know every you know everybody in the band has faced some kind of mental health struggle in their life right. and the album deals a lot with that um so it seemed like really, you know, with the samples and all these things coming together, it seemed like it was uh, just kind of appropriate to what people might be going through right now, um, ourselves included. So it seemed like it was the right time to release it. You know, I understand people holding back on releases and, uh, but for us, we made the decision to go ahead with it. And so it is, a, it affected some things, but we're happy to be able to provide people, you know, most people that are ever going to listen to it are probably going to just stream it on, on something. So you know, they can just get new music, you know, and uh, yeah. not have to spend money if they aren't able to and stuff. So we just thought it was a cool thing to share that with people during this time. That makes sense. And that, that's very awesome. I'm very, I've listened to the singles, but I haven't, it's mostly been, I've been riding my bike a lot with my wife. So it's mostly been stuff like that. So it's like half paying attention to it. But with this and you saying like the transitions and stuff, it makes me excited too. Cause I usually like to like actually listen and pay attention when the full record's out so I can get the, cause I fully agree that records are meant to be records. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, and I, the, my favorite records of all time are ones that you can listen to front to back and they're 
perfect the way they are and they're methodically planned out to how they how they're supposed to be laid out and everything so and obviously having you and will in the band obviously it was planned out like that so yeah i I always like to like wait and listen to the full record to actually like pay fully attention to everything and and let it sink in and everything yeah i you know i'm the same way too I, i think um even when it's bands that I absolutely love and they're dropping singles, I, I really only like kind of glance at the single and I always mm-hmm. wait for the record. Um, I am like ride or die for the full album experience. I, I don't yeah. really, singles are okay. You know, um, I, I, I can appreciate, you know, small releases and EPs and singles and stuff like that, but I, I full album is the reason that's why I'm into music. I'm into music mm-hmm. for the full album experience and and I'm into uh, not just the like, Oh, here's a couple songs. I like the, I like it when bands put thought into the pacing and um, you know, and, and that's a thing with me and Will both being producers. That's a thing that we had in mind when we were writing the record. And I, and I always try to keep in mind when I'm producing a record is uh, you know, kind of writing and tailoring the record like okay we have x amount of fast songs let's do some slow songs so let's do things like that so the pacing on the album is you know aggressive it's very balanced like the the slower songs are balanced out and um you know we we wanted a journey that was a listenable experience that felt like you know you, you went somewhere you didn't just get barraged so even though even though the band it's really tricky with a band like end that is like <laughs> you know it's not as dynamic as a band like misery singles that'll have all these like clean sections and yeah. uh then heavy parts uh and the, the whole purpose to end is to be uh, unnerving and, and unrelenting mm-hmm. um so to find ways to explore dynamic uh within that framework uh is definitely something that uh we we try to really focus on this record there's a lot of slow songs that are dark and moody or not a lot awesome. but there's like of the 11 tracks there's like three dark and moody slow songs and then there's um, fast songs and there's like fast songs that are different there's songs that are a little more uh black med- metal you know leaning and then there's songs that are a little more 90s hardcore leaning or songs that are a little more kind of like death metal and grindcore leaning so we really tried to balance out um and experience a, a cohesive thing and we definitely wrote with that in mind you know with me and will sitting down and writing a lot of the record together we're like okay well we've done songs like this how do we try to do a song like this and that was really important in the planning and writing of the album that's awesome. I'm very excited to hear the, the the full record for sure. Another note on producing, obviously you run Silver Bullet Studios. You've done, you've talked about it. You did records for Shia Luch, You did records for Misery Singles. And then you did, I saw you did some records for Hostage Com and stuff too. So I wanted to hear your perspective from being a producer and then also obviously playing in bands of how important it is to, for bands that are like younger and trying to go to go to a studio to go to an actual producer and you know put out the best material possible i think i think one of the most uh you know there's a couple things i think benefit from that and it's funny that you mentioned that because uh or or even discussed that because that's a lesson i've even learned you know despite being a producer that's something i've learned the last couple years too in doing end because all my own stuff i produced but with end uh you know, Will handles a lot of that production and it's like a vacation to record and have Will worry about a lot of that stuff. You know, I'm in with him on a lot of mixed decisions and stuff like that, obviously. But, um, you know, Will sees me like enjoying myself playing guitar on the record. He's like, damn, like, I wish I should do. He's like, you should do one of the records, you know, like, because it is like, a, it is a real treat to have, 
somebody else record, you know, just record you and if you're a producer yourself. But I think the main things, if you're a younger band, there's a lot of resources now to um, make pretty decent recordings, mm-hmm. at, at, you know, at home and stuff like that, or, or with very little budget things. But, you know, I think for, for me, uh, I know I might be in the minority on this, but for me, um, I, I, for one, one big thing is I, I don't really love a lot of records that have program drums. I understand program drums as a writing tool. Uh, I, all the songs that I write, I have program drums when I lay out the song, but there's something about it that doesn't fully work for me on like the record experience. Even if a drummer is like very edited or sampled or whatever, I love the human feel on a kit. And that is a really hard thing to do at home or, or by yourself because I think the hardest thing to record uh, often is the drums because it's so many mics. You need so many good quality mics and preamps and things like that to uh, do drums. So I love an organic feel of a, a drummer. That's really important to me on, on records that I love and listen to. Um, and, you know, and like I said, like with a lot of the resources that people have and the ability to record stuff at home, which is great. It is cool. You know, I, I, certainly come a long way since that four track tape recorder I was telling you about myself recording, <laughs> right. and you know, um, I think people putting out music any way that they can is valuable. I'll never discredit, you know, so whatever you have to do within your means to create and release art, I think is an important, uh, bit of expression that is, is vital, you know, um, to our culture and, and just for self-expression and stuff. So I don't want to discredit any of that, but that said a lot of home recordings, um, use the same kind of programs and things like that and they all start to sound very similar most of the demos that i get from bands when they do pre-production stuff on their own they all sound very similar and and uh you know a lot of that comes from you know most of the people are using uh superior drummer or you know, something like that, or, or there's these couple programs that people use, or they're using Axe Effects, or using something like that uh, for their guitars, you know, um, or Will's plugin. Will has an awesome uh, mm. STL Tonality plugin. It's a really good guitar plugin, but there's only so many of those that sound good. So people are drawing from the same programs, doing the same thing. So it makes the stuff sound very similar, and it's hard, I think, in the sea of bands and accessibility for people to write music, it's hard to stand out, you know, yeah. we're, we're kind of oversaturated with people doing bands, um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it does make it difficult if you want to make your band stand out. And I think mm-hmm. one of the best ways to do that is to go into a, a, a real studio that's going to mic up everything because you're going to have more of your character come across. If, if somebody's micing up your guitar amp or they're micing up your uh, drummer or things like that, you're going to end up with a, a thing that sounds more like yourself, honestly, than a lot of the kind of computer created bands. So sure. I think that that's an important thing. So if you want to stand out, let your personality shine through. So co- coming through and getting the organic, like actual band playing on the record. Um, and I, I think another thing too, um, that's really helpful with a producer outside of like the technical stuff of having this wide amount of microphones and amps and guitars and things like that, that can really help you uh, let your songs express themselves is also just having that person that can kind of give you a little bit of quality control. 
you know, it's mm-hmm. really hard when you, when you're, when you're in a, a band, you know, you want to do everything yourself. You want to write all the stuff and do everything yourself, but it is really beneficial to having an outside voice sometimes because band dynamics are tense. They can be really tense and, yeah. and, and, you know, you cannot know how to tell, you know, if you're, if your singer is like writing some lyrics that you maybe think are cheesy or something like that, it can be really hard to tell somebody that, or, yeah. or if, uh, vice versa, if a singer doesn't like, a um, a guitar riff or, you know, the bass player might have some notes wrong or, or, you know, something like that. It's hard to tell each other because you have to like, you know, get in the van and you're usually such close friends or things like that. It's hard to tell each other these critiques and, you know, the best bands are the bands that are the most honest with each other. Um, and that takes kind of letting some of your ego and some of your pride go, you know, yep. uh, there are certainly points of, uh, even doing end stuff when, when Will's tracking me, it's like, yeah, you're just not playing that guitar part well. And it's like, all right, I got to practice this. I got to get this down. You know, <laughs> you kind of need that, like, um, or you don't need it, but it, it is helpful to have that kind of outside voice and, and yeah, a good producer will do that for you. A good, a good producer will come in. They won't try to make your band into something that it's not, you know, you won't come in with your band and like, you know, I got an idea. We're going to make this all pop or something. Um, I think a really good producer is going to take what you're doing and, and just help encourage you, you know, offer other ways of doing things. So, mm-hmm. You know, if you have a drummer that's like playing a drum part and they're uh, on like the same crash cymbal for like four sections of the song in a row, you know, you might not even think of that. You're worrying about so much stuff as a, as a band. You're, you know, like, oh, we, we are writing all the songs, figuring out what the artwork is, all this different stuff. You might not even think about that. Then the producer comes in, they're like, hey, you're on the same crash cymbal for four parts in a row. These songs would be a lot more dynamic if you switch to the other crash here and then maybe the hi-hat for this part. And it's like the, right. you wouldn't even think of it because you're just worried about learning the songs. It's it's that kind of like extra care of analyzing that extra just input of stuff that you might not even think about that really can make a song shine, that can really help uh, define the song. You know, it's not even necessarily like ground up. You know, there's different degrees of stuff. You know, there's different, you know, there's there's uh, some bands, like I just worked with this band, Yashira from Florida. Oh, um, yeah we just produced a new record for them that uh, is in the final stages being mixed and mastered right now. But with those guys, they were super self-sufficient. They had like already worked out so much. And when they came in, it was about uh, us exploring different guitar tones and using all the different amps that we have here to really make a wall of sound. There's bands that you're extremely hands-on with. I know the same is for Will too. He'll be very hands-on and write guitar parts for certain bands and just act as like a guitarist alongside them. And there's other bands that like are just fully doing their own thing and you just want to capture what they got going and they don't want that input. And the best producers, the, in my opinion, is the producer that knows when the band wants that guidance and when the band doesn't want that guidance and respecting those boundaries and providing what the band needs. And I think having that outside voice, whether it just be slight suggestions or whether it be just full on sitting with the band and looking over the structures and everything that can be really helpful uh, with a band kind of developing their sound and trying to take things to the next step. That's like a vital thing. And, and, uh, you know, I wish I had people like that earlier on in my career, probably would have, uh, avoided years of mishaps and things like that. If I had people kind of be like, you're doing this one thing really well, so don't be afraid to do it more. Even if it's just positive encouragement like that, it can make a big difference. Yeah. And it's super hard because it's, it comes with anything, whether it be, you know, if you're a painter or a designer or a writer or anything, it's so hard to see something that could 
it's even if it's just a little thing to make something so much better because you're so engrossed in it and you're just staring at it or so engulfed with the one thing it's, it's so much easier for a person completely disconnected and outside of everything to be like oh yeah hey why don't you just try that and it's like oh wow i didn't even think of that that just made that a thousand times better and and we we did a thing with a producer we didn't do pre-pro with them the last ep that ghost ever did and it was one of the coolest experiences ever because we would send him like rough recordings and we're like yo here here's a song and he'd be like oh yeah just we kind of did the pre-pro like through just digital means like hey what do you think of this and and he's like oh yeah that's awesome just you know maybe change this or this or add a lead here and we did it we did some of that stuff like oh that's the lead hey maybe try something like this or stuff like that and it's just like stuff you don't think of because you're so engrossed in the material and like writing the songs and practicing the songs and everything you you don't even like exactly you said like you wouldn't even think of that because you're worried about a million other things totally and and i think another thing with what you were just saying as well um another thing too is like you might like write a lead or something like that and you might not you might know it's maybe not the best thing or whatever but then you get used to it because you're playing it like a million times in the rehearsal spot and you get used to it and it kind of can cloud your judgment because uh you know something that you might have known might not be the best that you planned on maybe reworking later and you just got used to you're like yeah i guess this works having the outside voice they could come in and be like oh man you should really write something else for that like you know what yeah i guess i kind of knew that and i kind of just let that slide or they could come in and be like actually that lead is is fucking awesome and you're like oh cool i guess it does work you know like (laughs) you kind of get that validation because it's not just it's not just about critiquing um about things that can be improved it's also telling bands like wow this song is awesome like you guys nailed it maybe this should be a single for you it's also the positive uh input and stuff like that too and that is such an important an important thing and it's you know bands don't realize this but like so many other artistic uh endeavors that people can do have people that do do that like if you're an author you have an editor that goes through and and suggests other wordings or other structural things. And if you're a filmmaker, you have your producer that looks Mm -hmm. over um, and there is a collaborative thing. I do think, you know, I'm all for the madman locking himself in the room and going crazy and coming out with a great piece of art and and that stuff definitely happens, but it is nice to maybe do that. Even if you're going to do that coming out and then just getting verification before you right. put it out or, you know even even if you show a producer and they're like you know everything is great on this and you're like awesome cool you can feel more <laughs> confident about proceeding to the next step you know there's something really cool about collaborative art yeah i completely agree it's it is very cool even with some stuff with design before i'll like send it to a client or something i'll send it to my other friends who aren't even like designers but they're you know they're involved with the music industry so they see different forms of art all the time and be like yo what do you think of this is there anything you would suggest or whatever and nine times ten they're like nah that's that's sick like whatever and i'm like okay cool and then you know <laughs> yeah then you then you really know and you can more confidently pitch it and i think yeah. that that's a great thing yeah it is awesome so i want to know are there any newer metalcore bands you're into uh yeah there are there are a few um i think chamber is a fantastic band uh they do a lot of the panic chord stuff, which I'm mm-hmm. not normally super in love with. Like if you like end does it every now and then, but we really don't rely on it too much. Uh, and that's because that's a thing that I think is like been done a lot, you know, 
especially in the last few years yeah it's it's made it's made a comeback (laughs) even when i was like since i was like a a little older like you know i the first bands i heard doing that were sepultura did that um on their ksad record which is probably the first time i heard it but then like bands like converge and zao were doing it Mm -hmm. so even by the time that even though i love the guys and i and i do appreciate the bands like seven angels and norma Jean and stuff like that even by the time those bands were doing it i had er, i was already like okay that's already a thing that <laughs> converge is done like i was i lo- i like those bands for other things other than those parts in that all that said chamber does the panic chord thing to death and somehow they make me care about it which is yeah. a real like it's a real testament to them because i think that they do a really cool job of making it sound aggressive um so yeah, I think I think Chamber is a really cool band, and then some of the bands that I've been lucky enough to work with, uh, I I really like that Yashira band that I mentioned. I think that they're awesome. I, uh, that band Vatican I think is cool. They're a great band too. Um, and uh, uh, there's a band that I recorded an EP for called Heavens Die from Virginia that I think Another is really amazing cool. Band. Yeah, yeah, I, I I love them. I I think that they're uh, they kick ass. Uh, I like the dudes the kind of like long island dudes uh that band sanction and yep. they have another band that they don't really do anymore called separated uh same kids from sanction oh, that, yeah, that band yeah. separated is awesome we we did an ep for them um see i'm lucky enough like a lot of the current metalcore bands that i list i've been lucky enough to work with yeah, uh, awesome. which is i'm very fortunate you know um and then out, outside of those bands i would say I would say Vane is a very interesting band. Yeah. Um, there, there's a lot of cool stuff going on in metalcore right now. I think it's having a bit of a resurgence in a way that I really like. It's kind of gone away from the, uh, you know, the screaming verse, singing chorus stuff that was happening yeah. for about a decade there in the early 2000s. And um, it's kind of gone back to the dissonant 90s, uh, oh, kind of yes. late 90s feel. And, and that's the stuff I grew up with. So it's kind of, it's, it's, it's swung back around to what my tastes were like. So there's a, a number of bands I really appreciate, but yeah, I would say those are probably my, uh, and I guess the last band I'll mention, uh, is band church tongue. I think church tongue is, is fucking awesome. Uh, they're another that band cool. Is amazing. Yeah. They're another really cool band. That's another band that has an EP that we're finishing up mixing for right now here that I think is the best stuff that they've ever done. Really proud of them. And I think that's another fantastic band. There's a lot of cool bands going right now. It's a good time. It's a good time for metal course. <laughs> Yeah, it I turns to, back. It's recaptured itself. So I used to work with Church Tongue a a, while, a few years ago. Um, really? Yeah, I used to book for them. It just got like it got to a point. It was before they started putting out newer stuff, and it was just it was hard for uh, it was just hard at that time to make tours happen. And they were touring with the wrong kind of bands and everything anyway. So yeah, yeah I, I think that they're, they they kind of got roped into a world of uh, they, they sound different than what people would expect based yep. on their name. Um, which they might change uh, with putting out the new stuff or something like that. But I think their name is kind of misleading. And I think the bands that they toured with and stuff is kind of misleading to what they actually sound like. I think Church Tongue would be more appropriately at home touring with um, bands like Chamber and Yashira and stuff like that, you know. And uh, I hope when they put the new stuff out that they're able to, uh, whenever touring resumes, to kind of capture more of that audience I usually end these podcasts with a little thing I call metalcore minute and it's just a minute and you pretty much just say whatever you're into, whether it's video games. I mean, we've obviously talked about a lot of bands you like, so 
you can skip that. Or if it's TVs and movies, books, comics, you know, just whatever you've been into during this whole crazy thing. Well, I've uh, gotten just a really bad time to do it financially, but I've kind of gotten back into record collecting. I haven't been able to go to <laughs> stores at, you know, at all, but I, I did get a, a record player, um, you know, after not having one that was working for a little bit. So I've been kind of just back into vinyl, uh, which is such a fun, is such a fun thing. You know, this day and age, there's, there's not really a lot that you can do to kind of like, get something to support a band or have something tangible with music music has become so you don't have to work for it there's not an adventure quality to finding music that there used to be where it was like a scavenger hunt and an adventure um so i've kind of gotten back into just like vinyl you know and 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 through that um a big thing for me probably the the thing that i listen to the most musically is uh actually film scores huge influence on me so getting it getting back into film scores you know there's there's film scores for movies that i i love the score i've never even seen the movie you know like that i like listen to the score tons of times i've never even seen the film so so uh getting into that i'm heavily into film scores you know um specifically been jamming a a couple different ones i kind of actually during the pandemic i've been watching a lot of movies um with with my girlfriend who's been a saint and uh you know kind of quarantined with me we've been watching a lot of films together and uh revisiting stuff a a big thing that i revisited film wise is i kind of went back into um the some of the old spaghetti westerns and watched the man with no name trilogy the early clint eastwood stuff and uh i hadn't seen a lot of those since i was a lot younger and those are awesome and especially being a little older and appreciating like the poetry of how a movie right. like the good bad and the ugly was made it's really awesome filmmaking so we revisited that and revisited some of the um kind of 70s films like uh the francis ford coppola's the conversation or right. godfather or uh, dog day afternoon and some stuff like that so i've been kind of revisiting some like film history um, cool. and, and stuff that I grew up with and, uh, just kind of reconnecting with that stuff, which again, a lot of those movies, like especially good, bad and the ugly has an amazing film score, uh, which pulls us all the way back to Metallica. Cause I first checked out that movie because Metallica every night comes out on stage to part of the good, bad and the ugly film score playing. Wow. So that old Metallica VHS that I watched a million times had, you know, uh, Ennio Morricone's uh, Good, Bad, and the Ugly score playing. And then that made me check out those movies when I was a kid and then kind of rediscovering all that stuff now as an adult. So I've been having fun, having fun going back in movies. So if you're, if anybody's like listening to this and you're running out of stuff to watch, there's a lot of really cool stuff back in yeah. the 70s and 80s that are worth revisiting that you'd be shocked at how um, surprisingly well that stuff holds up. So you know, don't be afraid to explore. There's so much of that stuff's available on streaming that you don't have to wait for a new release to discover something new that you love. Yeah, that's that's a very, very, very good point for sure. There is a, I don't know if you're into like the Marvel scores, but I know they just dropped a like box set of Infinity War and Endgame uh, on vinyl. And nice. all, all the, it's six um, vinyl discs and they're all the colors of the Infinity Stones. That's really cool. Yeah, that's definitely something I would look into. I like uh, being a film score nerd. You know, that stuff is uh, Alan Silvestri did a lot yeah. of that stuff. And um, Alan Silvestri is one of my favorites. He did uh, the, the Predator. He did 
Back to the Future. He did a, a lot of stuff, a lot of scores that I really like. Um, so that would definitely be something to that I would check out. I actually haven't gotten any of the Marvel stuff on vinyl yet or anything. And I, and I do like the MCU movies. It's funny. I don't often, uh, it's very interesting with those movies. I, I think the, the scores and the music are, are things that I don't actually remember that much from those films, uh, as opposed to some of the other genre tentpole things like Lord of the Rings or, or yeah. Star Wars or something like that, where the film, the scores are so iconic. Um, that's a difficult thing for the MCU because they have so many movies and so many mm-hmm. directors and so many film score, um, composers work on it that it's been challenging for them to yeah really create uh you know they 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 have such these beautiful visual palettes but the music is mostly unsung in those and i I think probably the strongest work is alan sylvester's work with the avengers films but some of the other stuff it's like not as memorable i can't think back you know um outside of guardians of the galaxy using uh other music right. in it very well i will say that the mcu has been very good at like drawing from older sources of music and, and mm-hmm. incorporating that into the film oh yeah but uh yeah other than the avengers stuff the music's been great in all those movies but it's funny i when i think back to those so many of my favorite movies are defined by the music but with those when i think back to them i, I just visually it's the moment remember scenes yeah. more than i remember the music and that honestly that might come from them being comic book based where True. they have these comic book panels that they're recreating that are so visually striking that the music almost is uh, just there to support the visual rather than taking the helm the way that it does in like a christopher nolan movie or something like that where yeah. the music really takes the helm and drives the story yeah definitely the avengers ones because he takes the same like notes but he like evolves them as they go along and that that to me i agree with what you say because that to me is like the most memorable thing you hear the the little avengers score come in yeah you, you just it just brings you back to everything that they've laid out i guess the That's only the one best, the best one that they've done i think yeah yeah and i think the only one that stands out besides those is the winter soldier one because it's but it's mostly the stuff with bucky and the winter soldier because they have that crazy like screeching uh, like loud noise and every time he shows up in that movie that it's so like jarring and like makes it terrifying in a sense yeah that's in that um not that you know we're on the last minute we're going down this little right but winter soldier is definitely my favorite of the mcu movies and a lot of that uh ties into the thing i was just talking about where i'm revisiting films from the 70s and 80s winter there's a subgenre of films in the uh 70s called like the kind of paranoid spy thriller yeah it, it's like this like um interesting subgenre that you have all these movies like uh, uh all the president's men the conversation uh parallax view three days of condor day of the jackal it's this whole subgenre a marathon man's a great one whole subgenre of film and for winter soldier they specifically recreated that feel of the paranoid kind of spy thriller even so much so as casting uh robert redford in that movie who is in a lot of those movies in the 70s so i love that they um pull from other genres of film and that being one of my favorite weird subgenres of film uh that i was even just talking about revisiting some of those 
I love that movie because they very faithfully recaptured the feel of those movies and had the cast and kind of music, unnerving music that those movies had. Yeah, they the Russo brothers even gone to say that they took exact like reference and you know from those movies and that's exactly why they cast Robert Redford for that movies because yep. they were like I, we need him because of this. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, he's in I mean All President's Men and uh, 3 Days of Condor are two of the classics of that genre. And um as soon as they like put out the trailer, I I, I almost right away I was like Oh, they're on. T- I, I know <laughs> what you're putting down. I'm ready for this. Hell yeah. Uh, before we wrap this up, is there anything you want to plug before we get out of here? Um, I guess I'll, I'll just, you know, things I'd already mentioned, but, uh, you know, y- Yashira, I'm very excited for the record that we just finished up for that. Um, and then also we got the end record coming out on June 5th and the Misery Singles record coming out in early August. And, uh, also, Chris Teddy, who I run the studio with, his band, The World is a Beautiful Place. We're, they're going to be working on new material soon, and um, I'm really looking forward to that. So, you know, just wanted to, I guess, mention those things. And I will quickly mention, too, um, that I had recently been on a couple other podcasts I just wanted yep. to mention, too. I, I'd been on uh, Horror Flicks and Guitar Picks, which is, like, cool. I kind of, yeah, uh, you know... Um, podcast horror based podcast and then this uh one called the terror table so it's just on two horror podcasts uh talking about like different movies and things so i just wanted to give them a quick shout because i think both those podcasts are really cool as well as this podcast which i've also been listening to lately you know <laughs> thank you. uh so thank you very much for having me on here because it's uh just cool to participate in uh one of your episodes it's a very very neat and i'm very honored and uh appreciate you know you even wanting to take a little bit of your time to talk to me. So yeah, I appreciate th- that. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. This is very cool for me. I've been a, a fan of end for forever and I didn't even know you were in Shai Hulud and helped write one of my favorite Shai Hulud records. And I've liked misery signals for years, pretty much since ap- like when apps light came out, that's when I like kind of got into misery signals. So it, it was super awesome, cool, man. super cool to be able to have you on and, and just chat for a few hours and, you know, kind of start to make a new friend out of this. It's like the best part about music for me is, is making new connections and new friends. So this oh, is even, even sure. better. For sure. Yeah. I, I, um, fully appreciate it, man. It's super cool. And th- like, again, thank you for the kind words and thank you for having me on. Yeah. Not a problem, man. So thanks. That's it. <laughs> awesome. That's the quickest one. As always, if you want to support the podcast, the biggest thing you can do to support the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, hit that five star, leave a review. That really helps me move up in the podcast rankings, helps people discover the podcast. If you're only a Spotify listener, follow on Spotify. If you listen to on YouTube, subscribe on YouTube, leave a comment. Until next time, this is Metal Corner. Nerd.